My name is John Werhaus, and I've been gone for a while, and uh, I am so happy to be back, and I cannot tell you how much I love you. There's, there's nothing worse than laying around with nothing to do, and just to think and to sit, and uh, the good part about it was I got to think about you guys, and I got to thank the Lord for you over and over and over again, and it was uh, a real blessing. I love you all so much. I want to I celebrate a, a special Sunday, not, not my being here, but uh, for Doc Stroman here. Doc had his uh, heart transplant, and uh, I don't know if this is the first Sunday you've been back, but if it is, God bless you, Doc. He has to wear a mask because he might hold some of you up. There, there's a lot of money in a heart transplant, <laughs> so he might need a few extra bucks. <laughs> I think I just blew his cover. <laughs> Anyways... Um, we just uh, lift him up in prayer, if you would. It's been a successful surgery for him. Uh, the docs did a great job for him there at uh, Cedar sinai And I'm so thankful to see him and May, his wife, and, and to be with you all. The, there's a couple of restrictions I have. One is I'm not supposed to fall. I got that one. Uh, I'm not supposed to fall on this knee if I do fall. And I'm not supposed to stand for prolength uh, Larry's periods of time yet. I'm, uh, I'm supposed to sit down, and that's been the hardest. Uh, last night's service and this morning's service, preaching it sitting down, I don't want to do that very long. I'm hoping and praying that the, the doctors will allow me to stand up soon and, and maybe more stand than sit, but right now I'm going to be obedient to them, which is uh, something unusual for me uh, to be obedient and, uh, and uh, do what they ask me to do and sit, and so I hope you don't mind, and I hope it doesn't make you feel a little uneasy, but um, uh, I'm, I'm going to sit during the service, and also my, one of my mentors here is, uh, is Bill. Bill McKnight also had his knee done. He's about six weeks ahead of me, and I get to watch his pace and see how he's doing. And Are you able to stand for long periods of time right now? So in a couple of weeks, I should be okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I can't wait for that. Uh, a couple of things I want to say uh, before I start the message, and that is I want to thank the Lord God Almighty for Rob Selleck and for David Briggs, the two men who preached when I was gone. I, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how comforting it is to work alongside of those two men and along with uh, Brian Thompson, who is also... Uh, just been a blessing for us in our church, a blessing for where we're going and, and uh, trying to, to set the pace of where God would have us as a body of believers. Uh, but knowing that, uh, that if anything were to happen to me, if that be the, the will of the Lord God, that's, that's fine with me. I, I feel very comfortable for our church knowing that, uh, that Rob and, and Dave would be able to take over and that we would move from there forward. And, and be in good, good hands. And so I am very thankful. I, I, uh, I thought we'd have a word of prayer just to bless those two guys. Uh, you know, they, they found out some of the truths about being in the, in the pulpit, and that is uh, uh, things happen. <laughs> just Satan doesn't like it, and he tries to disrupt. And so I would ask your prayers for them. In fact, let's pray for them right now. Father, I want to thank you for both Rob and Dave. Uh, watch over them. Uh, Rob has to go back to Texas right now. Dave is in Florida. Uh, they're doing um, 
different things that they have to do within their business. I want to thank you for them, as we all do, from the bottom of our hearts, Father, for the messages they gave the last three weeks and how we are, as as a church, so blessed to have men of this caliber and women of the the caliber that you brought to our church to help teach us and to guide us in the Word of God. So watch over them, please, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The other thing that that, um, I wanted to, to just mention in passing is while I was um, home, um, as most of you have heard, if you uh, follow anything at all about news, is that Pastor Chuck Smith of uh, Calvary Church passed away. I'm sure you all know this already, but um, I can tell you that I think the whole body of Christ has been diminished uh, without him. He's one of the most uh, amazing men of God that I've ever had the privilege of knowing in my lifetime, and I got to be friends with with Pastor Chuck, and uh, he did some speaking things for me with the ball players that I used to work with, and, and he was always a tremendous hit and just a great guy. And uh, the world will, be, will miss him greatly. The impact that he has made for the cause of Christ in your and my lifetime has been monumental. I don't know of another, <clears throat> I don't know of another man that uh, has so impacted the world uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ than uh, Pastor Chuck. And, and we will miss him a lot. So I just wanted to pray for him and his family, of course, as they go through all of this. And now I want to say what I've been longing to say for the last three weeks, and that is would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, please. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is, is just reemphasizing what he has been saying all along. Basically, I wrote these words. These are mine, not Paul's. But, but, but I, I think he must have been thinking these thoughts. He must have been thinking, how often must the Lord say it before we fully understand and believe what he has told us? How long must a life go by before we as human beings realize the truth of God's amazing message? It, the most simplest truth that most of us know we probably learned this verse when we were kids in, in Sunday school classes. And it is John 3.16. You've seen it almost at every sporting event. Someone holds up a sign that God loves the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I would think that Paul was saying to himself in all of this time through the book of Romans How much must life pass us by before we realize this truth? How long will it take mankind to fully realize that the pursuit of any kind of religion or spirituality or whatever you might want to call it, for whatever reason drives a person towards a a seeking after God in whatever form they think of Him, how long will it be before they learn it has to be all about faith? and not our works. And more importantly, how long will it be before we understand that God Himself has set the standard for us how we may obtain eternal life with Him? We don't set the standard. We don't pave the way. You and I are just messengers of God's truth. And His truth is that He loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. 
when Jesus Christ addressed the disciples, really, he addressed all of us, all people that would ever read the Bible. He said that those who trust him would one day follow after him leading Thomas to ask the question of questions, which I am so thankful for Thomas. Thomas says, we don't know the way. How do we know it? Listen to what our Lord says in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, and then I'll come back and read to us out of Romans chapter 10. And I want you to look at John chapter 14 for a moment, verses 1 through 6, these marvelous words that Jesus said to those of us who would trust him. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, he says, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And then he says in verse 4 of John chapter 14, And you know the way where I am going. Well, I thank God for Thomas. I think I would have stood there and said, knowing that I didn't know. But I, didn't, I would be too embarrassed to ask. But Thomas says, Lord, verse 5, We do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? To which Jesus said to Thomas, to all the disciples that were there, and to all of us that would ever seek after knowing God. He says to him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. I don't know how much more plainly our Lord could have placed it. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus Christ. The way to God is narrow, folks. I, I know there are many people say there are many ways to God. There are many roads that lead to heaven. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says anyways. The way to God is narrow. It can only be and only happen through Jesus Christ. And the journey, the way and how to get there is set. We come to God the Father through God the Son. And God the Father set the way for us to come to the Son and to come to Him. And today I want to make that as crystal clear as I know how to. I want to set this message up by what Paul is saying. He is saying to you and to me, faith is everything. Works is nothing. Works is meaningless. Faith is the way you and I come to God. And so would you read with me, please, in Romans chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now listen to Paul's heart. We've heard this before. Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness, now listen, and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, folks, can only come through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
when you and I believe and trust in Jesus Christ, we are told that God the Son gives us His righteousness. So therefore, we stand before God with, with this asking of forgiveness within our heart of hearts, and therefore the righteousness of Christ becomes a part of us. We were told in Romans chapter 3, as clearly as Paul could say it, that there is none of us who are righteous, not even one, none of us. We have no righteousness of our own. And so he said, Paul, in verse 2 of chapter 10, I bear this witness. They have zeal. In other words, they have a great desire for God, but their zeal is without knowledge. It says in verse 3, For not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. In other words, they're figuring out how to get to heaven instead of trying to figure out what does God say about how we are to get to heaven. And I want you and me to know that before we walk out of here today. Crystal clear to know it. So that you would know that it is your faith that sets you apart as a person of God. Not what you do. What you do is merely an expression of your love. That's all it is. It doesn't bring you salvation. I've said this myriads of times. I'm going to say it again today. I said it this morning. I've been married now 40 years. September the 14th. Past September the 14th, Kay and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. I love her more today than when I married her. But I am not more married to her today, 40 years later, than I were on September the 14th, 1973. When I said, I do, I became married. And I'm as married to her as I'll ever be. What I do for Kay is I express my love for her, not so that I'll be more married. Okay, so there's more peace around the house. I'll give you that. But I express my love for Kay purely because I love her, not so that I'll be more married. The same principle is true with you and your walk with Jesus Christ. What you do for the Lord doesn't make you more saved. You cannot be more saved than the moment you trust in Him by faith and not by works. Paul is trying to make that crystal clear. So now I read Scripture. I read you out of John 14. Let's pray. And then let's get into this message. Lord, thanks. Thanks for Doc. Doc Stroman, Father, watch over him and, and just continue to strengthen him. Um, let that heart that, that has been given to him by this donor, Father, may it, may it beat regularly and faithfully and purely for all these years more that you would give him with May. And they would enjoy their married lives together, their family, their loved ones all that, the, that you have before them. And Lord, I pray for Chuck's family, Chuck Smith's family, that you would watch over them. Father, thank you that we were privileged to live in a generation to, uh, to know a man like this, a man who made an impact for your sake more than anyone I think I've ever known. I thank you for Rob, and I thank you for Dave, and they're preaching the message of Jesus Christ. But most of all, Father, I thank you for who you are. I ask that you'd open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, that we would not be confused by, by faith and works, that, that we would know that we know that we know you, not because of the things that we do or don't do, but, but because of, 
our faith and our trust in you and you alone. And that, Father, the things that we do will just be a manifestation of our love for you and our love for one another. And so, Father, I pray that you'd move me out of the way, that you'll not let me to allow me to interfere with what you want to say to each of us here this wonderful morning. It's a beautiful day you've given us, Father. May we rejoice and, and be glad in it, and may we celebrate the very essence of knowing you. And if there's someone here who's investigating you, Father, may, may their heart be warmed by the words of, of your, your gospel so that they might come and trust in you as well, just by faith. So, Lord, bless us, please. Allow this to be a very, very special day in all of our lives, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. All right. By God's own sovereign statement, His glorious offer of salvation becomes effective in a person's life only when that person willingly receives, trusts in Him by faith. That's it. We read a month ago, before I went to have this surgery, that our works have nothing to do with our salvation. And obviously, Paul is really driving this point home. We read in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 10, refresh your memory with chapter 9. Look at verse 30. Look what Paul said about the the Gentiles. He says in verse 30 of chapter 9, What shall we say then? The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, nonetheless, he says, they obtained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Now, what about the Israelites, the ones that he is now, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, reaching out for? For the Israelites, he says, but Israel, verse 31, they pursued a law of righteousness, but they did not arrive at that law. Why? Why did they not get to the place of righteousness? Simple, he says, because, verse 32, because they did not pursue it, or righteousness, by faith. Rather, they pursued righteousness as though it were by works. And in so doing, he says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now, the stumbling stone was none other than Jesus Christ. Get this straight in your life. The moment you try to work your way to heaven, you push Jesus Christ aside. You miss the very essence of the gospel. You try to do something on your own to make you right with God and you stumble over Jesus Christ, the stumbling stone. And so Paul is saying, be careful. Your faith is all that is required of you for salvation. So reading verses 30 through 32 of chapter 9 we see that works has nothing to do with our salvation. Paul warns salvation without faith will cause a person to stumble over or miss the very essence of our faith, our salvation. They'll stumble over Jesus Christ. You see, one of the most important things of this, our church, is that we don't have a lot of traditions that we hold on to. We are a church that is bent on preaching the Word of God. We are a church that is bent on allowing you to see Jesus Christ 
in all of His glory. That's what God the Father has asked us to do in this, what is called the church age. We are now living in the age of grace, God's unmerited favor, church age. And so we are to present to people on this earth Jesus Christ in all of His glory. And that is what this church, the Rock Community Church, chooses to do. We don't choose to have a lot of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. We want you to come to trust in Christ. And we want you to believe in Him in such a way that you know, that you know, that you know Him. And nothing will shake you from that. When you walk out of here today, we walk out in this big old bad world out there, I want you to know above everything else in your life that Jesus Christ loves you. And He loves you just the way you are. And you can return that love to Him by faith. Later, as you grow in your faith, you can express your love to Him by doing things, but the things that you do will not make you more valuable. Well, I don't know what the word, I I chose a bad word. The things that you do will not make him love you more. He loves you as much as he's going to love you. He went to the cross and died for our sin. So, why did the Jews have a problem? Well, verse 32 of chapter 9 tells it clearly. They stumbled over Jesus. They did not pursue salvation by faith. Rather, they, pres- they wanted to pursue salvation by their traditions, the things that they do, rather than trusting in Christ. And by God's own determination, God will not save a person who does not believe in His Son. Period. That, that's God's law, not ours. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Listen. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which you and I must be saved. Period. That's it. A person cannot save themselves by the act of their own will or by works or by deeds. No matter how sincere, no matter how heartfelt they are, Paul said in verse 2 of chapter 10, he says, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, no doubt about it. They have this zest for God, but not with knowledge. Not with knowledge. That's why we want you to have knowledge of Christ. That's first and foremost what we want for you to have as a body of believers. To know that you know Christ and to realize how much he loves you. That leaves Paul to write these words in verse 1. He says in chapter 10, verse 1, it's my heart desire. It's my deepest prayer, he says, for your salvation. But he says, I'm saying this, but this is what Paul is implying. I can't give it to you. If I could, I would. I cannot give to you what you cannot accept for your own self. You must come to a realization who Christ is in your own life, in your own heart. And sadly, he says in verse 2, some have a great zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, which confirms why we study the Bible as faithfully as we do here at the Rock Community Church. We want you to know your Bible, and we want you to know Jesus Christ, of whom the Bible is written about. But Paul warns in verse 3, the Jews didn't know about God's righteousness, 
You see, God's righteousness only comes through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ that allows you to be right with God Almighty. And it is by faith in Christ that you receive the righteousness of Christ. Because, as we've already said in, in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 11, you and I don't have any righteousness in and of our own selves. There's none of us that is righteous, not even one. We must, by faith, receive the only righteousness that God allows, and that is faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So why didn't they know about His righteousness? Verse 3, the last part of chapter 10 they decided to seek and establish their own righteousness. That's impossible. And in so doing, they didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God, which, of course, only comes through Christ. Again, let me repeat myself. You and I don't set the standard. I don't get to. You don't get to. We don't get to say, this is how you have to live to be right with God. God's already set that standard. And that is through His Son, by the way, you know, don't you, that this didn't start in the New Testament when Jesus Christ was born. No, no. God set the standard way back at the very beginning of time. In fact, I want to prove this to you. More than anything else, I want to prove this to you again. I've done this before, but I want you to kind of be solidified in your heart of how God established the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Turn with me back in the Old Testament. Hold your place here. But turn with me back, please, in the Old Testament to Leviticus. Now you're going to say, you've got to be kidding me. Where's Leviticus? It's not hard to find. There's Genesis, Exodus, then Leviticus. It's the third book in from the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus. And I want you to turn to chapter 17 of Leviticus. Hold your place there just for a moment. Let me explain what has taken place. Up to this point... God now is, Leviticus is the book of the laws, the laws that is set down before the people. So God has set a standard for Adam and Eve, the only two people who were on the earth for a while. And he set the standard of taking care of his garden. He says, and all the trees in my garden, he says, you may freely eat. But the, the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, I don't want you to eat that tree. The day you touch and eat that tree, you shall what? Pardon me? You'll surely die. You're going to die. Now, they didn't die. They did, by the way. They ate of that tree. And they didn't die, not physically, but they died spiritually. So, he says, I don't want you to eat. So they did. And what happened? Well, God came looking for Adam and Eve. Came, found them in the garden. They were hiding. He says, Have, why are you hiding? Well, we heard the sound of you walking in the still of the day and, and, and all of that. And, and, and he says, well, have you eaten from the tree which I told you not to eat from? And he knew that they did. And Adam said, yeah, the woman. She, <laughs> he blamed the woman. You know, just like a guy. He just blamed somebody else. And she blames Satan. And Satan was smart enough not to blame anybody. He knew enough. He knew he was caught. And so what did God do? It's a small statement what he did, but it's, it's, it's pure. He sacrificed an animal. Oh, we don't hear him say that. Not now. Not in, not in Genesis. But he sacrificed an animal, and he clothed them with the skin of the animal. But what he did with the blood of the animal is he gave it to them on the altar for the forgiveness of their sin so that they could now be right with him again. 
right with God again because they surely spiritually died. How do I know that? I ask you to turn to Leviticus. I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. This is one of the great laws in the Old Testament. It says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now God is speaking. I have given it, given the blood, to you on the altar. In other words, as a sacrifice. Sacrificed an animal. The animal's blood was shed for to make an atonement for your souls. An atonement is a payment for your soul. Let me read that again. It's fabulous. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it, the blood, to you on the altar to make an atonement, a payment for your soul. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes an atonement. An atonement is a payment for sin. That payment was made by God when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Now, to show you that that's not a law that can be easily changed, I want you now to turn back to Genesis, very first book in the Bible, the fourth chapter. Great place in Scripture. Adam and Eve now have a child. They have a child and they name him Cain. Let's see what takes place. It says the man had relations with his wife, Eve. In other words, Adam and Eve conceived, and she gave birth to Cain. That's in verse 1 of chapter 4. Making her say these words. Have you ever thought about what she says here? I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. You know what she was saying? The Messiah, the promised Messiah has come. I was promised a man-child by the by the grace of God. And here he is. She thought that Cain was going to be the Messiah. Uh, the Messiah was yet to come for another 2,000 years. After she had Cain, she then gave birth to his brother Abel. This is verse 2. Now the Lord tells us what Abel and Cain did. Watch. Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. What did they do? Abel, taking care of the ground, the, did I say Abel or did I say Cain? I said Abel, didn't I? I was wrong. Abel took care of the flock. The flock was the sacrifice that the, the family had to make for an atonement for any sin that they made. You see, up to the flood, they never ate any meat. They didn't have animals for food. The reason they had an animal was so that an animal could be sacrificed if and when they sinned, and so that blood could be shed. That was taught to them by God upon the altar. Cain, on the other hand, he took care of the family's uh, physical needs, their, 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 their food. He took care of the tilled, he tilled the ground. He, he rose the, the vegetables and the fruit of what they ate in those days. So he took care of that. In the process, here's a great verse, verse 4. Look, it's, no, excuse me, let me take you back to verse 3. It came about in the course of time. In the course of time is such a great little statement. It means a specific place, 
a specific time, a specific purpose. They went there, Cain and Abel went there to do something very specific. They went there to offer a sacrifice upon the altar for the forgiveness of sin. How do I know? Watch what takes place. It said, in the course of time, verse 3, Cain brought an offering, not food, he brought an offering to the Lord for the fruit of the ground, of that which he grew out of the ground, he wanted to give it to the Lord as an offering for the forgiveness or the atonement or the payment for sin. Cain, Abel, on his part, also brought the firstling of his flock and their fat portions thereof. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain's offering, he had, God had, no regard. In other words, he didn't want that as an offering. It had nothing to do with the sacrifice for sin. Blood had to be shed. And even though Cain wanted to bring the very best that he did, it was the best. It was, it was, it was a pure and wonderful offering, I'm sure. Just like as, as Paul said about those in Israelites, they had a zeal for God, but not, not with knowledge. And Cain had a zeal for God, but not with knowledge. And he thought that the fruit of the ground, what he grew, would be sufficient for the forgiveness of his sin. And God made no bones about it. He says, I have no regard for your offering, Cain. Then he went on to tell him this. He said, Cain, Cain, it says in verse 5, after the Lord said, I have no regard for your offering, Cain became angry. His countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Verse 7 is the key. If you do well. In other words, if you do what I've told you to do, will not your countenance be lifted up? You better be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. It's desirous for you. You better master it. Listen, from the very beginning of time, God had a standard that he set on how we were to come to him. It had been blood from the very beginning, and blood had never changed until the birth of Christ. And then we went from the blood of an animal to the blood of Jesus, the Messiah, who died for the sins of this world. But all the time, from the Old Testament to right now, until the Lord comes back, the system will never change it will always be blood that Jesus Christ now shed for you and for me. And it will always be faith that you and I come to trust in Him. And we can't come with the best we have to offer like Cain did with the fruit of the ground and think it will be acceptable by God. He will have no regard for that offering. Better, the sooner we learn that, the better off we will be. Turn back with me, please. To uh, Well, actually, will you turn? We're going to close. I want to turn now to he Hebrews uh, chapter 8. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, just to solidify where we are today with this blood offering. So the standard of coming to God has been set. It has been set by God. It had to be blood from the very first sin until the very last and it stays that way today. The only difference is Christ changed it. His mission 
was to come to this earth, to go to the cross, to shed his blood for mankind, for all of us, for the forgiveness of our sin. He shed his blood in the place of an animal. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. We're just going to look at a few verses in, in, in and through Hebrews. There was a problem. There was a problem with the blood of an animal. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, it says, If that first covenant, that first offering to God had been faultless, in other words, if it was perfect, there would have had been no occasion sought for a second. There would have been no need for Jesus Christ to die on the cross if the first was faultless. Now look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 13 and 14. If the blood, verse 13 of chapter 9, if the blood of goats and the blood of bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? to serve the living God. Look at verse 22 of that same chapter, chapter 9. According to the law, what law? The law in Leviticus. The law that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. The, set, the, the standard that God set with Adam and Eve way back in the garden. According to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is what? Wow. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So it says in verse 28 of that same chapter, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, is, are, is going to appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. You might want to underline that without reference to your or my sin, to those who eagerly await him. I just put a footnote to myself here, and I'll say it to you. Don't you just eagerly await him? I mean, don't you just... I know some of you are young. you got to live your life. I get it. I get it. But I'll tell you what. When you get older like me, I mean, you, you, you're kind of looking up a lot. Come on, Lord. Come on. I eagerly await the Lord coming. They're laughing back in the, in the cry room at me, I think. I eagerly await the Lord coming. Because of the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ, because it far outdoes the blood of any animal, He brings forth a forgiveness that is without reference to sin to those of us who eagerly await Him. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. This is where there was a fault with the blood of an animal. The amazing need for a Messiah, which God already knew. He already had a, a system built in. It says in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 10, It is impossible for the blood of a bull or a goat to take away sins. Verse 10, By this will we have been sanctified, cleansed, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. In other words, there doesn't have to be numbers of animals being killed to, to where it becomes gory and terrible. No, Jesus Christ went to the cross once 
and for all. He doesn't have to do it again. It says in verse 17 of the 10th chapter of Hebrews, their sins and their lawless deeds, yours and mine, I will remember no more. That's a great verse. Therefore, he says in verse 23 of the same chapter, chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised, God who promised, is faithful. I want to share with you two verses that have nothing to do with the blood of Christ, but have everything to do with our gathering together like this. It's the next two verses in Hebrews chapter 10. I just thought I'd throw them in just to encourage you of gathering together as we do here week in and week out. It says in verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's that's purpose of our being together. Maurice, I love you so much. I don't get to see you enough. And I looked at my book and I'm looking forward to doing your wedding. I've, I've just transposed it to next month. His wedding is going to be next year, but I can't wait. Let us learn how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's the reason we gather together, to encourage one another. And then he says in verse 25, Don't forsake our assembling together as is the habit of some. In other words, don't come haphazardly to church. Now, I'll take you any way I get you. If you want to come haphazardly, okay. But I hope and pray that by the grace of God, you will understand how much God wants you here every week, how much He wants you to build into your life and you to build into other people's lives and, and to be a part of the family of God. And so he says, don't forsake your gathering together as some do, but rather encourage one another. Encourage one another, he says, all the more as you see the day, the second coming of Christ drawing near. And I see it. I'm sure you do. Let's look at the last verse I'd like for you to look at. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. Two of my favorite verses. The writer of Hebrews places the strongest emphasis that he can possibly place on faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things that you and I have hoped for. It is the conviction of the things that we have not seen. In other words, faith takes us to that place that is somewhere out there in the heavens above, that where our Lord right now is building a place for us to live with Him forever, that we can not see, but see. It's the, it's the assurance that we will be there with Him one day. It's the conviction of something we've never even seen yet. But look at verse 6, talking about faith. Without faith, the writer writes, it is impossible To please God. You see why Paul is preaching so hard on faith? Your works will not please God. Your works, God will have to say to you, I have no regard for it. If you do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you come to me through my son by faith, everything will be fine. Without faith, it's impossible to please me, the Lord says, because the person who comes to God must believe that God is and that He will reward those of us who seek Him. 
more than anything else. On the face of this good earth, I've come to realize, not as much as Doc has. I'm sure Doc has measured his life a lot these past days and weeks, waiting for his heart, this transplant. That Would it take? Would he get it? Any second he could go and be with the Lord, it had to be a realization in his heart and in May's heart as well, in the family's heart. But laying in bed alone and, uh, and missing you guys so much and not being able to come to church and just being a few miles away, but I couldn't get in a car, I couldn't get there. It was maddening. I missed you so much. I honestly love you as much as I could ever say I love a, pe- a group of people in my life. I love you like family. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your prayers for, for me during this time. Uh, I thank you for your kindness. I want to tell you I love you with all my heart. Father, thank you for your kindness. Lord, what a... What a strong, strong message Paul is trying to reveal. And it only gets stronger next week, by the way, Lord. Uh, I'm fully aware of that. Uh, trusting in Christ is everything. It's, it's everything to us. All the other things that we do, it's, it's not forsaking our gathering together so that we can encourage one another, so we can do the things that you ask us to do here on this earth so that maybe within our midst, one will... Rise up like another Chuck Smith should you tarry to start another movement for the cause of Christ that goes beyond anything that we could ever dream or hope of. Whatever it is, Father, may we be faithful. May we love you and follow you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and he alone. I pray these things in his name. Amen. I love you all more than you'll ever know. Thanks. It's so good to be back. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. God bless you guys.